0: Good morning, everyone. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. but who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord my rock and my redeemer.
1: Uh, Well, good morning to you all. It's so lovely to see you. Uh, Well done for being here with the change of time. Uh, And today, what we're going to do is we're going to sort of look not at one particular topic uh, as with the other talks in this series, this left and right series, uh, but rather we're going to look at one principle. We're going to look at one principle And we're going to use that principle to look sort of just sort of as examples at a number of different big topics in our divided world. We're thinking about following Jesus in a divided world. We're going to look at various different sort of topics that can cause division, uh, such as freedom of speech, cancel culture, abortion, climate change. But please note this sermon, it is not in any way a sort of full-blown sermon on any of those topics as important as each of them is. So, shall we pray? Let's pray using uh, Psalm 19 that Natalie has just read for us. Lord God, we pray very simply: may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. C.S. Lewis uh, he once uh, famously said this. He said, "I believe in Christianity." As I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. In other words, I believe in Christianity not just because it is true, not just because I can see it there, but because my Christian faith helps me see everything else in this world more clearly. Uh, It's like these uh, glasses. Uh, some of you uh, may wear glasses, some of you may not. Um, I need to get a new pair after I trod uh, on this pair um, whilst trying to catch our rabbit in our garden last weekend. Uh, our rabbit was sidestepping me with more skill than any member of the HCC Touch rugby team. Uh, the rabbit sort of shot past. I dived, uh, I missed, I slipped, uh, I, I, my glasses fell off, my foot went on to, and sort of squashed these flat, and basically I've been trying to sort of bend them back into shape uh, ever since. Now... This is the principle. This is the principle I want us to think about this morning. In life, every single one of us wears a pair of glasses. Okay, we all have lenses through which we see the world. Uh, some people lean to the right politically and wear right-wing glasses. Other people lean to the left politically and wear left-wing glasses. Many of us here, we may not see ourselves as particularly political, but probably most of us, we instinctively know where we sort of sit on the political spectrum. Uh, Perhaps the sort of best recent illustration of this was Gary Lineker's famous tweet that almost led to the complete meltdown of the BBC a couple of weeks ago. You'll remember the situation. Uh, Suella Braverman, our Home Secretary, uh, she announced uh, the government's latest plan to deal with migrants coming to the UK by boat and Gary Lineker tweeted about how he thought it was such a cruel policy. And there was uproar because of what Lineker wrote. wrote, He was made to step down from presenting at the match of the day. But then after a few days, in what seemed a pretty, pretty climb down by the BBC, Lineker was welcomed back and there was an apology by the BBC that they'd be having an independent review of their social media policy. Now, there's loads and loads that could be discussed about it all. But really, all I want us to see is this. How people commented on that event in the press all depended on whether they were wearing right-wing or left-wing lenses to view the situation. So you had people wearing their right wing glasses demanding that Lineker be sacked, uh, that the BBC should stay firm, despite right wing people being the ones who are so often against cancel culture and so often for freedom of speech. Now, now, these right wing lens wearers, they were cancelling Gary Lineker, they were wanting Gary Lineker silence because they disagreed with what he tweeted. But then many people wearing left wing glasses were no better. Suddenly celebrating Gary Lineker. Not fussed about his high salary at the BBC. Not fussed about his Nazi Germany comparisons. And the left, who are the most likely people to cancel other people, they were suddenly becoming ardent free speech warriors. So what's the solution to wearing right-wing glasses or left-wing glasses? Glasses that tend to sort of get bigger and with a more powerful prescription in the echo chamber of social media. The solution is not to say, let's just throw away the glasses. Let's just get rid of the glasses. You and I, we could be free of glasses. Because that is impossible. Remember the principle. We all, every single one of us here, we all have a worldview. We all have a lens through which we see the world. And so today, my contention is that we all need gospel glasses. Each one of us, we need gospel glasses like C.S. Lewis with the sun. We need gospel glasses to help us see and understand the world more clearly. If you like, see the world with God's eyes. We need gospel glasses. Now, if you were here two Sundays ago, uh, you may remember that I said that there are uh, five particular things that marked Christians out as countercultural in the first and second century AD. That's what historians say. And as you look at them, they'll come up on the screen there. Uh, The first two there, they are classically left-wing traits in our society today. Numbers three and four are classically right-wing traits in our society today. And the fifth one, really, that defies all political views. In other words, all I want us to see by that is I want to say Christianity does not fit into some neat political box. Gospel glasses are very, very different from right-wing glasses or from left-wing glasses. On some issues, your gospel glasses will make you look like you're quite right-wing in the world's eyes. In other issues, your gospel glasses will make you look like you're quite left-wing. And the reality is, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I are gospel glasses. What can happen? They can get very dirty. They can get very smudged. They can get very blurry, influenced too much by our culture in which we find ourselves rather than by Christ and we can't see so clearly with them. Indeed, sometimes we find ourselves getting gospel glasses and they get sort of coated with a a right-wing lens. Or sometimes we find our gospel glasses, they get coated with a left-wing lens and it is more and more difficult to see the world with God's eyes. Christianity, it is not a call to always lean right or to always lean left politically. Rather, Christianity is a call to look up to Jesus and follow him and then to look down at his word. To look down at his word. Because it is looking down at God's word that, if you like, helps remove the smudging. It removes the blurriness. It removes all the different other lenses that get coated on our gospel glasses as we look down and we grapple with God's word and what God's word says to us. So here's the first point. Use God's word. Use God's word to construct your gospel glasses. Now, that is certainly King David's experience in Psalm 19. I wonder if you notice in the first six verses of the Psalm, if you have a look at it again, it's page 552. Just look in the first six verses of the Psalm as David describes the world, as he looks out at the world, as he describes the the wonders of creation, he mentions God twice. Verse one, you'll see it there. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Verse four, in the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. If you like, he's saying we look at creation, we look at the world, and the world points us to the existence and to the majesty of God. It is awesome. And yet, none of us, we we can't fully understand what God is like. We can't fully understand what God is saying to us about how we should live in this world, what we should think about, all these different things in the world. We can't fully understand that just by looking at the world around us. Now, to get a clearer vision... We need something else than just looking out at the world. Uh, And in verses seven to nine, what you'll see is that God gets mentioned six times. In fact, now it's not just the word God as it was in verses one and verse four, but you'll see in verse seven, eight, and nine, it is now the word Lord, capital L-O-R-D, six times. It's the covenant name for God, Yahweh, which describes not just God being big, God being powerful, but it tells us this name, the Lord, Yahweh. It tells us about God's character, about who he is and what God is actually like. And you'll see it is all connected to God's word. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy making wise the simple the precepts of the Lord are right giving joy to the heart and so it goes on it's saying God's word God's law God's statutes God's precepts it's saying using God's word is the route to us wearing clear gospel glasses God's word helps us to see God clearly and God's word helps us to see all the complex issues in life clearly Now, let me demonstrate this by just giving one very quick example with two big topics that cause all sorts of divisions in society. And they are abortion and the environment. Now, I've purposely chosen two issues that seem quite different. One, abortion, where Christian campaigners against abortion are often seen as very right-wing, whereas the other, the environment, when Christian campaigners for the protection of the planet are often seen as very left-wing. Now now look at verse one. Verse one of our passage points us back to our origins. Verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Just as one of our children owns the right to this stunning creation that they made, uh, so God owns the rights to his stunning creation, this world. The earth belongs to God. It declares his glory. Now, Now, some people make an idol of planet earth. They worship planet earth rather than God. Other people make an idol of personal pleasure and don't have any thought at all of being a good steward of the world that God has given us. And both options are wrong. Just as it would be wrong for me to ignore and disregard this creation that my child has made, so it is wrong to do the same with God's world. You know, can it really be right to to just go, so what? To the fact that by weight, by 2050, there will be more plastic than fish in the earth's oceans. Scripture teaches that this world belongs to God. And scripture teaches too that you and I, we humans belong to God. We are made in the image of God. So Genesis 1:27, the pinnacle of creation, it says God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So our origins, just as the world's origins, are that we are created by God. And that means we need to not think of the world or ourselves as something that we sort of have the right to use selfishly for our own purposes. Rather, we all, we have the responsibility to steward the world and to steward ourselves under God to encourage the ongoing fruitfulness and flourishing of both humanity and this world. I love Francis Schaeffer on this. He says this. He says, if God treats the tree like a tree, And humans like humans. Shouldn't I, as a fellow creature, do the same? And for the highest reason because I love God. I love the one who has made it. Loving the lover who made it, I have respect for the thing he has made. And that quote, that is true for the whole of this world that God has made. And in any abortion situation, it is true for the woman and for the man and for the tiny human fetus that God has made. I respect the thing God has made because of my love for God. Now, originally, I had prepared far, far, far more to say about the topics of climate crisis and abortion because there is far, far, far more to say on them both. But then I realized it was far too much Uh, to try and sort of fit it all into a Sunday sermon. And we would have been here for about two hours. Um, In in fact, we may do a little sort of bonus Lent Discipleship School session for anybody interested to think through these two topics in, in sort of more depth. But I hope just in that little example, you can see my point. My point is this, use God's word. Use God's word to help you know how to approach, if you like, tricky topics that can cause division. It may be that you want to spend, as it were, more time cleaning your glasses on these two issues by seeing what does God's word say about them. Uh, there are two books at the back that you're welcome to buy if you like they're both short they both cost um four pounds each one's on the environment it's written by dave gobbit one's on abortion it's written by dr lizzie ling they are super helpful they are short they're not perfect in both of them there's one or two things that i don't quite agree with but they are super helpful and they're available as i say to buy at the back if you'd like them they're four pounds each but what i hope is that i've helped you and me I've helped us to remove any temptation to see these two topics, indeed see any topics, to see them through our instinctive right-wing lenses or left-wing lenses, whichever is our preference. Because if we look at these two topics through either of those two lenses, that is bound to cause all sorts of division. But instead, what I want to encourage you to do in those topics, in any topic, take these glasses off and place your gospel glasses off. and keep cleaning those gospel glasses with God's word so they don't get blurry so that's the first thing use God's word use God's word apply it into the case of the particular topic to guide us in our views rather than letting the culture of left wing or right wing glasses lead us second don't just use God's word second love God's word Just look at how Psalm 19 continues. Second half of verse eight. I think it is incredible as as David speaks about his experience of God's word. Just look at it. Halfway through verse eight, he goes, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Can I ask you, as I ask myself, be honest, is that your attitude to God's word? Too often, I remain very indifferent to God's word. Lukewarm, casual, not seeing it as more precious than gold, not seeing it as sweeter than honey. I'll never forget when I went on a, um, on a school caving trip when I was about age 12. There were eight boys and one instructor and I loved it it was absolutely brilliant you know crawling through all the sort of muddy passages up underground waterfalls all that kind of thing now you can tell I'm an old man because when I did it age 12 it was a boiler suit uh, you know the, the hard hat on but rather than some sort of battery powered um, lamp um, we had a lamp that was powered by some sort of chemical compound that you had to lit light and it produced a light and I, don't, I mean it was in the dark ages really but, but we have been caving for about an hour We'd been going down and down and down. It had been absolutely fantastic, apart from the fact that two of the boys, Tom and Charlie, I remember them well, um, they absolutely hated each other and they were having a huge argument the whole way down. They were just shouting at each other as we went down and down this caving system. And eventually we got to this big cave right at the bottom of the caving system and the instructor, he had had enough and he just said, right, that's it. And he blew out all our lights. And there we were, Suddenly, absolute pitch darkness. You could not see your hand in front of your face. You couldn't see anything. And that shut us all up, shut Tom and Charlie up even. And then we stood and we stood and we stood in total silence. I think it was probably for about five minutes. And then the instructor sort of felt that, you know, Tom and Charlie had had learned their lesson. And you could hear him in the complete darkness. You could hear him get out his matchbox from his pocket. And you could hear him opening his matchbox. And then you could hear him dropping his matchbox <laughs> and you could hear it dropping in the you know the wet dark, totally dark clay mess and the bottom of the cave he swore quite loudly and then you could hear him get on his hands and his knees and scrabble around in the complete darkness searching for that matchbox and those matches he found them eventually and in the darkness you could hear as he took a wet match out of the matchbox and he struck it and there was nothing and he did it again nothing Literally, he went through one again and again and again. I think it was the 12th or the 13th match when finally he struck it and there was light. Now, that was my experience in a cave. But actually, it is all of our experience in life too. We're in the dark We are totally lost, we are helpless, we're not sure of the answers to the big questions in life, we're not sure how to handle these different topics that cause division. And King David says that the word of God is like a light on the helmet to guide us. Look halfway through verse 8 again, it says, the commands of the Lord, they are radiant. They're giving light to the eyes. Without the light of God's word, we are as in the dark as I was in that cave. You know, to be honest, your views on God, uh, uh, your views on, on how to live in this world, how to think about different issues, to be honest, they are worth, your views, they're worth as much or as little as my views or as anyone else's views. To actually know how to approach things in life, we need to hear from God himself. And the claim is that in here, that is exactly what is going on. So if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, can I encourage you to start investigating what is written in here? Maybe start reading one of the the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. Jesus, the one whom the whole Bible is centered on and pointing to. To do that, to start reading one of the gospels, is to start wearing that caving helmet and be given light for your eyes. But you know, those of us who've been a follower of Jesus for a while, I think sometimes we begin to resent the caving lamp rather than loving it. We start finding the Bible difficult. We start finding the Bible restrictive. After all, verse 9, it is pure and righteous. And righteous. Verse 11, by the word of God we're warned. Listen to um, part of a poem written by someone very close to me who rejected Jesus, rejected God's word quite a lot of years ago. He's still currently rejecting the Lord. But this is part of a poem that he wrote a year or so after throwing in his faith. It was while he was at university. It's got a rabbit theme again. And he writes this. He writes, I was like a rabbit in a cage who was set free for the first time in his life. But it wasn't freedom. Freedom. I was in the wilderness with no barrier to protect me. I was open to the elements and not ready for it. You shouldn't escape from the truth. You see, this person, he thought, and he's explaining it in the poem, he thought he'd be free by stopping loving God and loving his word. But then he realised, as he did that, that it wasn't really freedom. He realised that God's word wasn't there to spoil his fun. He realised it was actually there to protect him. And I pray if any of you today feel a little bit like that person, I pray that your love for God's word would reignite. This, This manual for life, this love letter from God to you. Love God's word. So with gospel glasses, we've seen use God's word, love God's word, finally respond to God's word. I wonder if you noticed that David, who wrote Psalm 19, David suddenly gets very, very personal at the end of the psalm. He's been talking about God's word, the law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord. He's been saying all these things. And suddenly you get to the last couple of verses and suddenly he starts talking about himself. He suddenly gets personal. Just look at what he writes, verse 12. He says, who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults, Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I'll be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now I'm guessing this morning that God's word, by the power of God's spirit, has been speaking personally to each one of us. And as we've been hearing God's word, and as God's spirit's been taking God's word and implanting it in our hearts, we need to respond to it. I remember a really searching question that challenged me when I heard it in a sermon ages and ages ago now. And the question was this, very simple question. Can you name one thing that you've changed in your thinking or in your actions, one thing that you have done differently in the last month, as a result of what you have read in God's word? Very simple question. One thing that you've, you've done or you've thought differently in the last month as a result of reading God's word. Can you think of one way that your, your blurred gospel glasses have been cleaned by God's word in the last month? Now, I know for me, there are lots of months where I cannot name one thing, and that's not good. Like David, I say to God, God, forgive my hidden faults. And today, I know that I have mentioned big topics that will produce all sorts of response in all sorts of people. You know, just take abortion and the environment. The the reality is that with abortion, one in three women in the UK have an abortion at some point in their life. So I'd be naive to think that this isn't relevant here at HTC. You know, I know Susanna in my heart is a longing for HTC to be a place where people can run to rather than run away from if people need a place to process unplanned pregnancies or need support processing abortions that they've had. That's, that's why Susanna uh, has done the training with the, the Christian charity Options, who we support as a church. who provide free, non-judgmental support for unplanned pregnancies, also a step-by-step course for people experiencing many emotions which can flow from past abortions. This is a big need in our society. And we long for HTC to be a place where Jesus's compassion is experienced as we seek to speak God's truth to our nation. Uh, Dr. Lizzie Ling, who who wrote that little book that's available at the back, she, uh, on speaking on the subject of abortion, writes this. She says, developing church cultures where people feel they can talk about these things without fear of judgment will go a long way to ensuring that they receive the love and the care that they need. And that is what we long for for the HTC church culture that this here it is a place where we can all receive love and care because Jesus Christ offers love and care now for some the environment as we think about the environment and think about climate change it may not seem such a personal topic you know yet there was an article in the times just last weekend all about eco anxiety and a sizable study this year found that 73% 73% Of all UK 16 to 24-year-olds say that climate change has had a negative effect on their mental health. So again, we would be naive to think that that isn't an issue here at HTC. I've had people come to meet with me in our church family to discuss how their eco-anxiety has severely impacted their mental health. So I do want all of us to put on our gospel glasses put on our gospel glasses rather rather than our, our right wing or left wing glasses whichever is more our tendency I'd love us to put on our gospel glasses as we think about how we view these topics but as I close it's worth remembering this that primarily gospel glasses do not show us what we should do or what we should think They do show us those things. That's not primarily what gospel glasses do. Primarily gospel glasses show us God. We look through them to God and we see what God has done in Jesus. We see what God is doing. We see what God thinks. We see that God loves us and God loves this world, that God has a heart of compassion for each one of us and God has a heart of compassion for this world. And so please do come for prayer in a few moments if that would be helpful. Please do, in the coming days, get in touch with me or Susanna or any of the others who are gonna come up on the slide up there if you'd like to talk pastorally about any of the topics that have been raised today. But above all today, as we look through our gospel glasses, we look to Jesus. Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Jesus, the rock, our rock, your rock, my rock, the foundation upon whom this church is built and the foundation on which our lives are built. And we look to Jesus, our redeemer, your redeemer, my redeemer, the one who out of love gave his life so that we might be forgiven our sin, so that we might be redeemed, so that we might be set free from all our guilt and our shame. And this redeemer, he is the one we will one day renew both us and this entire world.